Search the world, but he couldn't feel me. Man's empty praise and treasures of faith are never enough. Then you came along and you put me back together. Good morning, folks. How are we doing this morning, church? We doing well? Yes, good. Well, let's have you stand if you would. We're going to worship together. 
And if you're at home, welcome uh, to being here this morning as well, uh, joining us online. We're glad that you're here. I wanted to read to you out of Revelation 1-7. It says this, Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the peoples on earth will mourn because of him, and so shall it be. We've got a great king who's coming back for us one day. Let's sing together. Coming on the cloud, the king of kingdoms will bow down. And every chain will break, his broken hearts declare his praise. For who can stop the Lord Almighty? Our God is a lion, the lion of Judah. He's roaring with power and fighting our battle. Every knee will bow before Him. Our God is the Lamb, the Lamb that was slain for the sins of the world. His blood breaks the chain. Every knee will bow before the Lion and the Lamb. Yes, every knee will bow before the Lamb. So open up the gates and make way. So open up the gates and make way before the King of Kings. It won't be long. He'll be back. Every knee will bow 
and looking forward to that day when he returns to take you home. It is our hope. It is the hope of all Christians around the world today. That's great news. Go ahead and take your seats. Tim's got something for us here. Hey, good morning, Sam Heights. Good morning. How are you guys doing today? That was kind of lame. How are you guys doing today? So good. Hey, I just got two quick announcements, then we're going to get back into our worship time. There are 180 kids signed up for VBS this year. That's a small country, okay? Now, in order to run the small country, we need some leaders to help out. So right now, I think there's about 60, so do the math in your head. That's a lot of cats, and we need some more cat herders, okay? So we need some more help, um, so make sure, uh, if you have that week, it's on July 6th through the 9th. If you got some time and that you want to wash some feet and serve this community, sign up to help volunteer for VBS. You can go to the website and scroll down to the bottom of the page. There's a little registration button that you can sign up and help out for that week. One more announcement. There's a lot of new people here. Have you noticed that? It's not just... It's so good. We can praise the Lord for that. There's a lot of people here that we want, we want you guys to feel welcome. And over the COVID season, we know that new people have come to our church. So what we're going to do is have a newcomer's lunch, and it's going to be on July 18th. It's going to be after second service. And we want you guys a chance to get to know the staff and the leaders here at this church. So if you're new to this church, sign up for that. It's on the same um, registration place on our website. Um, and we want you to know that we love you, and we want to um, welcome you here to our church. So... We're thankful for you guys. It's just going to take it over for some more worship time. Is that good? That's so good. Hey, here we go. Let's give him a hand. Thank you, Tim. All right, we're going to get our exercise this morning. Let's have you stand back to your feet if you would. Go seated on the throne of mercy. Your glory shining bright for all. God, I will praise you. Magnificent with praise amazing. You rescue us with love and never Oh God, I will praise you. Who is like the Say, who is like the Lord? He 
never be a God like you, a love so true, and there has never been, and there will never be a God like you, a love so true, and there has never been, and there will never be. A God like you, a love so true, and there has never been, and there will never be a God like you, a love so true, yeah. How great, how great, how great is your love, Darkness, new every 
of kindness he lavished on us his blood was the payment his life was the cost and we stood neath a debt we could never afford and our sins they are many his mercy is born Father, we are so thankful for the opportunity we have to get together to worship with you today and worship to you. God, we would pray that you would help us now as we get into your word, that it would uh, refine us, that it would do all the things that you want us to do, convict us, 
all of those things. We are so thankful that you love us and care about us. We're so thankful for your son, Jesus, that he came to do what he did on that cross for us. We recognize that we have been purchased with his blood and are his even today. Pray that you'd help us now as we get into your word. In Christ's precious name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. And we have a little video for you right now. fair. I really enjoy repeating myself over and over again. I just love when the kids talk back to me. I don't care if you get a job this summer. I don't care if you get detention. Uh, uh, I, I can't open this jar. See if mom can open it. Just take your time in there, okay? No means maybe. Hey, why don't you bring that ball inside and play with it? Hey, don't put that back where you found it. Just leave it on the floor. Ew, bacon. If you put a dent in the car, it's really no big deal. It's 10 a.m. Go back to bed. Look, whatever your friends are doing, just do the exact same thing. I got more than enough sleep last night. If your friends are okay with it, then I'm okay with it. Stop signs are just a suggestion. You don't need a chaperone. You don't need a seatbelt. You don't need a savings account. You should buy the jeans with the holes in them. Hey, we're all going to go to church, but you can just sleep in, okay? Can we please just hang out in here for another 10 minutes? Hey, can we get some more bickering back there? All right, bills. Yay, traffic. Woohoo, taxes. Yes, laundry. Hey, can you kids come in here and jump on my bed? Quick, go tell mom what happened right away. You don't need to finish your dinner. Hey, look at your phone when I'm talking to you. I wish I had a smaller TV. We got you that phone for a reason, texting boys. All right, everyone, listen up. Mom and I are going out of town this weekend, so please mess up the whole house while we're gone. Please throw a few parties while we're gone. Please forget about the dog entirely while we're gone. Hey, when you're finished pouring that, can you just leave it out on the counter all day? Thanks. Hey, what are you doing? I'm gonna bungee jump out of this tree. That's a really good idea. church. Happy Father's Day to all the dads in the room, and uh, we are super thankful for you, and we recognize that it is a challenge to be a dad. Um, it's a great responsibility. It's a, it's a great privilege, and so I just wanted to take a minute to just pray for our dads this morning. So would you join me? Father God, we just thank you so much for loving us. And we're thankful for the way that you created family and the way that you have uh, asked dads, have called dads into a role to lead their children, to, to model what it looks like to have a relationship with you and to instill in their children why you are a God worthy of our worship. And so we pray for our dads as it becomes increasingly more difficult to, to lead well and to be able to invest that time God, we just pray that you continue to protect and, and build up our dads so that they can continue to instill in the next generation who you are and why you are to be followed. God, we thank you for the dads in our church, and we just pray this over them now in your son's name. Amen. Hey, if you have your Bibles this morning, why don't you grab them and turn to Exodus chapter 34. And uh, we are in the second week of our summer series called Fundamentals of the Faith. And what we're doing during this series is we are exploring several kind of foundational truths about Christianity. And our desire really throughout this whole series is to be able to just explore what God's Word says for itself. And this week, we're going to be looking fittingly at God the Father. 
And so there are a few basic things that I want to do because as we study God this morning, uh, many of you are familiar with the word theology. Uh, that just means theo, God, ology, the study of. Theology is a vast topic, and there are several reasons for that, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But it would be impossible for me to cover all of theology in the next 30 minutes. But what I want to be able to do to you is I want to be able to help you this morning consider that sometimes we have the wrong idea about God. Sometimes we actually have heard things about God that we don't like. Sometimes we have actually read things in the Word of God that we struggle with because they seem almost contradictory or at opposing views. We hear of this this loving God, and then we hear of this God that is just and will punish. And so that's led some people in our world today to actually just kind of of segment God into different parts. Like, I accept the the, the version of God that I see in Jesus, this idea that it is soft and loving and merciful. But man, that Old Testament God can't have anything to do with him because that is just not fitting what I think God should be. I want us this morning to consider from the Old Testament that that God, the God, the one true living God, has been the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that Jesus was the exact representation of God in the flesh. But everything we see in Christ, we also know is true about the Father. And so there's a couple of kind of overarching principles we just have to remember as we start our time together. The first is this. Theology is the study of who God is and what he is like. Now, this is really important for us to understand because oftentimes we can look at theology of a basic kind of an impersonal study of facts about a spiritual being. We can know about God, and oftentimes when we talk about theology, we can start in some of his attributes that are true, like omniscience and omnipresence. These are beautiful, wonderful truths about who God is that he has communicated to us about himself. But theology is not just this impersonal knowledge about who God is, because God has also communicated to us what he is like. He is personal. He is relational. But sometimes we view God the Father as this kind of distant, unaware person that really we don't spend time getting to know because he doesn't really care much to know us, and that is wrong. So if we're going to truly study theology, and we're going to look at the scriptures and see everything that God has communicated to us about himself, he's not just saying, here's who I am, here's what I'm like. Because as a person, he has an intellect, he has emotions, he has a will. But the second thing we need to remember this morning as we kind of start this little mini-study on theology is that what we know about God comes from his revelation alone. Now, in your notes, if you, if you have notes, if you grabbed a, a digital copy or grabbed a piece of paper outside, uh, I have a lot of extra scripture. And so if you didn't have a, a chance to grab those this morning, um, you're welcome to find them. Um, there's QR codes around the church. or You can go on the church website. We've, we've added a lot of supplementary scripture this week to the points I'm making so that you can see what kind of where we stand and why we've arrived at these conclusions. But it's clear in the scriptures that man did not come to know God through his own wisdom. That apart from God revealing himself to us and communicating to us. In fact, 
If God had not created us with the ability to communicate, we would not know as much as we do. He, in his great wisdom, actually gave human beings the ability to communicate. And then he has come down and he has communicated through that means and has revealed so much to us about who he is. We understand that God has revealed who he is through creation. We talked a little bit last week with that. Pastor Justin highlighted the fact that creation, it tells us in Romans chapter 1, tells us about who, that there is a God and all the things about him, that he's, he's intelligent and he's creative and he's powerful. And yet through special revelation, through the, the written word, the scriptures, and through Jesus Christ himself, he has communicated more depth and more knowledge. And that's where this knowledge comes from. But it's important that we note that everything we know about God through a study of theology is not everything he is. So we need to be cautious before we claim to have complete dominance on the topic of theology. If you were to visit my office, you would see I have I mean, a whole rows of my bookshelves dedicated to theology textbooks, theology books that are not light reading. There are men much wiser than me, much smarter than me, who have spent their entire life studying who God is, and they still haven't been able to capture all he is. Now, that shouldn't cause us to go, well, since I can't know it all, I'm not even going to try to know it at all. But it should just remind us that God is much bigger than us. The scope of theology is vast. And oftentimes, when we refer to God, um, we're referring to the different persons within the Trinity, When we say God, that can mean God the Father, who we're going to focus on this morning. Or we can be talking about Christ, the Son of God, who's also God. Or we can be talking about God the Holy Spirit. If you've been in church or if you were raised in church, you're probably familiar with the term Trinity. A a, a term that was created, it's not in the Bible, but it's, it's created to describe what we read clearly in the Bible, that there is one God who exists in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And although they are distinct, they are inseparable. They share the, they share the same nature, essence, and attributes. Uh, the Trinity is a fascinating topic, one that deserves its own message, and we'll get that own message. We can't cover all that today. It's so big. And it's one that hurts the head the more you go into it, because it's so amazing. There's no adequate human way to communicate this. And yet God has started to pull back the curtain a little bit to reveal this awesome, amazing truth. And so we should continue to study because there's so much there. But here's the question for us this morning. What comes to mind when you think about God? If you were to describe God to another person, how would you describe him? What's he like? This is a pretty controversial question because in our world today, there are many, many views of God, many, many ideas of who God is. Some believe that he is personal while others believe he's impersonal. Some believe that God is loving while other views, others view God as angry. Some believe that God is completely aware of all things and especially aware of what's going on in your individual life. And yet there are many people who believe that God is absent. There are some people that believe that God is gracious and others very demanding that he's a perfectionist. But here's what I want us to understand. What you think about God will shape how you live. What you think about God will shape your daily life, your daily choices. 
And so there are many ideas out there. I think it's best to go to the source himself. And that's what we're going to do this morning. Because in Exodus 34, we see God, the Father, clearly communicate to Moses who he is, his character. And this description that God gives in Exodus chapter 34, we're going to read verses 1 through 9 here in just a moment, would become the most quoted verse in the entire Bible. Over 20 times, this verse is quoted by other Old Testament writers. That's shocking to some of us. But if you were growing up in the Old Testament age, Exodus 34 verses 6 and 7 would be the John 3.16 of their day. Everyone would know it, and you would see a constant reference to it throughout the scriptures. Why? Because what God reveals about his character brings us, his creation, clarity, comfort, and conviction. So knowing this, I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we read our passage for this morning. Exodus 34, verses 1 through 9, and we're going to see this interaction between Moses and God the Father. If you found your place in the Bible and are ready, say ready. ready. This is the word of the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, cut two stone tablets like the first ones, and I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. Be prepared by morning. Come up to Mount Sinai in the morning and stand before me on the mountaintop. No one may go up with me with you. In fact, no one should be seen anywhere on the mountain. Even the flocks and herds are not to graze in front of that mountain. Moses cut two stone tablets like the first ones. He got up early in the morning and taking the two stone tablets in his hands, he climbed Mount Sinai just as the Lord had commanded him. The Lord came down in a cloud, stood with him there, and proclaimed his name, the Lord. The Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. But he will not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing the father's iniquity on the children and grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. Moses immediately knelt low on the ground and worshiped. Then he said, My Lord, If I have indeed found favor with you, my Lord, please go with us, even though this is a stiff-necked people. Forgive our iniquity and our sin, and accept us as your own possession. Do you believe that actually happened? It did. You may be seated. Now, this text this morning comes right smack dab in the middle of a big, big narrative of God leading his people through the wilderness towards a land he called the Promised Land. And so to kind of help set us up in the context of this story, to kind of see where this takes place, our friends with the Bible Project have a video on this text that kind of sets up the context I'd like for us to check out this morning. The Bible is a collection of many ancient Israelite scrolls. And together, they're telling one unified story. Now, if you look at the second scroll, Exodus, you'll find two important sentences. They're actually so important that they're referenced and requoted over 20 more times within the Bible itself. It must be important. What does it say? Yahweh, Yahweh, that's God's name, a God compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, overflowing with loyal love and faithfulness. 
I can see why it's repeated so often. These attributes of God are really lovely. And the statement goes on. He maintains loyal love for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. Yet he won't declare innocent the guilty. He will bring the iniquities of the fathers upon the children and grandchildren to the third and the fourth. Okay, hold on. This last part takes a bit of a turn. We're first talking about God's love, and suddenly it's about his judgment on grandkids. So is God merciful or vengeful? Yeah, great question. Let's see these words in a larger context by looking at something important in Genesis, the first scroll of the Bible. There God chooses one family, the Israelites, from among the nations, and he promises that he's going to rescue the whole world through this family somehow. And Genesis ends with the family of Abraham in Egypt. Then the book of Exodus begins, and this book has two large movements. Right, okay, so this first movement of Exodus, God rescues Israel from slavery in Egypt. And in the second movement, God leads them to Mount Sinai, where they camp out for a year. And God invites this whole nation into a partnership called a covenant, so that they can be shaped by his values and character. And represent God to all the other nations. Exactly. Now, this whole Mount Sinai movement in Exodus can be broken up into four literary units. First, there's the actual ceremony where the Israelites agree to be God's partners. And God sets up the terms of the relationship, starting with the Ten Commandments. The first two are... Don't give your allegiance to other gods and don't make any idle images of God. Seems simple enough. After that, God shows Moses detailed blueprints for building this sacred home so that God can come and live among them. Oh, right. And then comes a really long narrative about the building of that sacred home. But you miss something. Right in between these sections is the story that has our description about God's character. The story begins with Moses going up on the mountain, writing down the partner agreement, as the Israelites are at the base of the mountain, violating the first two commands. That's ridiculous. They're breaking the covenant vows while the ceremony is still going on. Yes. And so God is hurt and angry, and he warns Moses that this betrayal will keep on happening. God is ready to call it quits. But what about his promise to rescue the world through them? Yeah, exactly. This is what Moses brings up. And so what is God going to do? Should he end the partnership, which would be fair? Or will he be faithful to his promise to Abraham and show them mercy? Yeah, exactly. Now, look back at the words that we began with, and you'll see they're about this very tension between God's mercy and his justice. Okay, so the statement opens like this. A God compassionate and gracious. In Hebrew, this line has three words that rhyme. El Rahum the Chanun. And the line overflowing with loyal love and faithfulness matches the first, as it also has three Hebrew words. Rav Chesed the Emet. Each of those lines have two attributes of God, and they surround a fifth attribute that God is slow to anger. Right. Now that's the first half of this description of God. Then comes the second half. God maintains loyal love for thousands. And how is he going to remain loyal to people who keep rebelling against him? By forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. Uh, but God's forgiveness doesn't mean people can just do whatever they want. Right. God's mercy is balanced in what follows. Yet he won't declare innocent the guilty. He'll bring the iniquities of the fathers upon the children and grandchildren to the third and the fourth. The third and the fourth what? 
Well, it's referring to generations of people who repeat their ancestors' rebellion against God. They'll get what they deserve. But notice, this small number of generations contrasts that massive number up above. God's loyal love to thousands. Right. And then check this out. God's forgiveness of iniquity in this line is contrasted with his justice on iniquity in this line. Okay, and all those lines are surrounding a central line here about God's justice. He will not declare innocent the guilty. So while God is slow to anger, he is also just. Right. This is the tension that these two sentences are exploring. How does a faithful and loyal God deal with such a rebellious people? This is the challenge God faces in this story, and it's the same challenge he faces in the whole biblical story as he works to rescue the world through this family. With that in mind, we can take a closer look at these five attributes that God declares about himself to Moses. A God compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, overflowing with loyal love and faithfulness. And we'll see how each one leads us deeper into the character of God and into the story of the Bible. So that helps kind of set up where this text comes from in the middle of this story. That God is speaking to a people who've already proven themselves to be unfaithful. He has been faithful. He has been a deliverer. He's come and met them where they're at. He's heard their cries. And as he's trying to set up this covenant with them, they're already beginning to turn their affection to other gods. And so in this text, why I wanted to focus on this text this morning is because this is God's declaration, his communication of his character to mankind, who he actually is. What does he emphasize about himself? Because the Bible is full of attributes and qualities that the authors kind of mine out and help us understand about who God is. But as God speaks for himself, he lays out these qualities. And so there are three truths I just want to highlight uh, this morning about God the Father that I think are essential for us to understand as we begin to investigate what does it mean to have a relationship with this God. It says here in verse 6 that the Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord. We see a repetition there. Every time in the Hebrew Scriptures, every time in the Old Testament, a word is repeated, it's done for emphasis. It's to draw our attention. It's to say, slow down and pay attention. But here God is giving us his name, the Lord. In the Hebrew, it was Yahweh. Translated in English, we get the word Jehovah. But what this tells us here, what God's first communicating about himself to us, is that there is one living and true God, who is infinite, eternal, and self-existent, who relates to his creation personally. The Bible contains many names for God. Um, there's, there's books written on all the different names for God, and these names were not just uh, kind of nicknames. These were names for God that helped uh, humans understand qualities about who he is as, as part of revelation, as part of him communicating about himself to mankind. Jehovah, though, is more than just a title. It's a personal name. It's used over 6,000 times in the scriptures. And it means self-existing one, which describes the reality that God exists outside of everything that's been created, that nothing outside of God himself contributed or contributes to his existence. 
It's that word that we see earlier in Exodus when Moses is talking to the burning bush. And, he, and, and God is speaking to Moses saying, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh and I'm going to tell you a message to give to him to let my people go. And Moses says, well, who am I supposed to say has sent me to you? And he says, to tell him, I am. That's that your word, Yahweh, the Lord, the self-existent one, the one that's always been, is, and always will be. There is one God, the Lord. In a world where that is questioned all the time with, with polytheism or atheism, God is speaking to the fact that there is one God. He is living and active. He's true. He's infinite. He's not bound by any kind of human or physical realm. That makes it, that's one of the reasons why we as finite creatures can't completely grasp everything that he is, even though he has gone to great lengths to communicate to us about himself. He's eternal. This is the God. One author kind of describes it like this. One of the first characteristics we discover about Jehovah is that he is a person. He is the I am. This is significant because it lets us know we don't live in an impersonal universe as the evolutionists would have us believe. God isn't a force who just moves about. He isn't what we think of when we hear, may the force be with you. He's a living and very personal God who has emotions, intellect, and will. He came down and proclaimed. This is a relational God who says, I am God. There's one. There are no others. And I want to know you and I want you to know me. It's the first thing we see here highlighted. The Lord, the Lord. But then he highlights five core characteristics. And what we learn here is that God's core character traits are rooted in generous mercy and loyal love. Now again, remember, there's, a, there's an idea that as we read through the Old Testament, we read about conquest, and we read about God leading the Israelites, and they're conquering people, and, he's, and, and we see wars, we see people dying. And then we read verses that talk about God being wrathful and, and jealous. It's hard to compute. How is this God then loving and kind and gracious and patient? How do we, how do we make sense of that? I hope, to, I hope to do that in a small way this morning. But let's just consider these five qualities that are highlighted by God himself. The first one is that he's compassionate. This is an emotional word. It conveys a strong bond. It has the idea that God will show mercy even when punishment is deserved because he's compassionate. This is where we get the idea of, of mercy. Is relenting, pulling back the punishment that's deserved to, to show favor and love. He is compassionate. This didn't just start in the wilderness. This is who he is. He's compassionate. He is gracious. This is an action word. That means that God steps in to help us in our times of need. He doesn't just step back and go, man, you got yourself in a pickle. Good luck with that. No, he steps in. And that graciousness is, is expressed in the context of relationship. To be gracious to someone requires that I have a relationship with them. So I can show that, I can demonstrate that graciousness to them. He is slow to anger. 
The word in the Hebrew is a pretty interesting study. It actually means long in the nose. Like, what? What does that mean? Well, I did a little bit of research on this. Long in the nose is the idea because when you get upset and you start to breathe heavy and you squint your face, the idea here is that your nose gets red, your face gets flush, and you are angry. But the Hebrew way to describe God is that he has a long nose. It takes a long time for his face to get flushed and for him to demonstrate that anger. What does this mean? He says, I'm going to give people a long time to change. He is patient. He is slow to anger. It says that he has faithful love. He's abounding in faithful love. Some of your Bibles use the translation steadfast love. This is a word we see throughout the scriptures. It's called chesed. And it is a type of loyal love that is shown to someone who's been unfaithful to you. Think about how easy it is for us if someone has wronged us, betrayed us, has been unfaithful to us, how quickly we are to cut off that relationship. And yet God demonstrates chesed. I'm going to continue to show you love even though you don't deserve it. It's love, it's loyal, it's generous. And that leads us to the last statement, truth. In some of your translations, it will say that he is faithful. The word in the Hebrew here is the word where we get amen, which means it's true. When we say amen, it means everything that's just been said is true. This is that same word. God is true. That means he is reliable. He is stable. He is steady. He is faithful. He's true. So think about these five qualities. Compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, faithful in love, and true We all have different experiences with our fathers, earthly fathers, some of them good, some of them terrible. But we have a heavenly father who's all these things eternally. I've shared before, my my father was a very significant person in my life. I was fortunate to be raised by a man who loved God. And uh, he was not just a mentor and an example, he was my hero. And he passed away about 14 years ago. And so Father's Day is always a little bit emotional for me. But I remember as he was nearing death, and I asked him, and I said, Dad, what am I going to do? You're the guy I go to for counsel, for wisdom. What am I going to do? He said, you got to go to the Lord. He's your heavenly Father. He is compassionate and faithful gracious and slow to anger. He will help you remember anything that I've imparted to you that has any eternal value. And he will help you overcome anything else that I've done wrong. That's our father. He goes on to say here at the beginning of verse 7 that he is maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. That's God. So not only is he doing this, he's maintaining it. He is sustaining it. Sometimes we, it takes a lot of work to be in relationships. And God's saying, if you, will, if you will come to me, if you will pursue me, I will take care of the, the heavy lifting here. I will maintain that faithful love. I will be consistent no matter what you do, no matter what's been done. I think we see this in, in a New Testament story in the book of Luke, where we see the story, the parable of the prodigal son where we see two sons being compared. One is self-righteous, one is rebellious. But we also see a picture of the father 
who it says he looked, for, he looked out, and as his son had left and had squandered all of his inheritance, the father continued to look for that son to return. And when the father saw the son coming out at the distance, and the son was coming with a speech already prepared to try to convince the father to allow him just to be a slave. I've wronged you, father. I've been so horrible. Would you just let me be a slave for you? It says the father runs to the son, wraps his arms around the son, and declares, the son that I thought was dead has, has been found. He's alive and has a celebration. That is a compassionate, gracious, patient, faithful, loving God. There are many descriptions, like I said, several attributes throughout the scripture that God has, and they are all important. But these are the qualities that God himself highlights about himself. And so we need to pay attention. But I think this raises some questions for us. And there are just two. I mean, there's lots of questions, and they're good questions. And in theology, they're, they're fun to wrestle with. But there are two questions I think just kind of come to the surface when we look at this and we see God is saying that he is all these things. The first is then, what do we do with all those verses that talk about God's wrath? All these verses that seem upon first reading to go, man, he seems angry. A couple examples, Psalm 78, 59, God heard and became furious and completely rejected Israel. Nahum 1 says, The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord takes vengeance and is fierce in wrath. The Lord takes vengeance against his foes. He is furious with his enemies. Now even listen to how I'm reading that, right? I'm reading in some inflection. But these verses, when we read them, we go, how, how do I compute this God with a God who's supposed to be compassionate and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in loyal love and faithfulness? What do I, how do I, can they, is this a contradiction? Does this, does this call into question the credibility of everything that's in the word of God? Or is there some way that these things work together? I think it's interesting in that Nahum verse that I just read, we see this God, it says he's going to be, he's going to avenge and he's jealous. And then look what it says. This is one of the places where Exodus 34 is quoted. The Lord is slow to anger, but in great power. The Lord will never leave the guilty unpunished. I think what we need to understand about this idea, how do we deal with the wrathful verses in scripture? Because that's a, that's a case made against Christianity why we should just totally reject what, what, what theology teaches us as we study God's word is that it is true that God gets mad. He said he's slow to anger. It doesn't say he doesn't get mad. It says he's slow to anger. Yes, the Lord does get angry. But he doesn't get mad in the same way that, that humans get mad. And it's not his primary characteristic. I want us to hear that. He starts when he self-reveals. He says, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love and truth to a thousand generations. His primary characteristic is not anger. He is not this judge sitting up in heaven with a billy club just waiting for us to step out of line. He is not this God that has this demands and this, this perfectionism. He's saying, get yourself cleaned up if you have any chance of wanting my acceptance and my approval. There are plenty of religions that have a God like that, that you, you live your whole life trying to appease this God and sacrifice and, and live for this God, and yet you have no confidence to know that when you die and you meet that God, whether or not you will be accepted or banished forever. That's not the God of the Bible. And yet he is a God 
who does get angry, but his anger is not reactionary. And it's not like man's, because oftentimes our anger is self-centered anger. It's selfishly motivated. God's anger is never. God's anger is always in response to evil. And we all want justice. We all want that. When we see things in our world that are wrong, that are happening, that are not good, that go against who God is and what God has said, we cry out, Lord, when are you going to step in? Even in the scriptures, if you read in the Psalms, you see the psalmist say, how long, Lord? Are you going to let this keep going? There is something in us that desires justice. But what we can have confidence in is that when God is just and he holds people accountable and it comes to the point where it's time, that hasn't been quickly, that hasn't been impulsively, that has been long, and he's given them an ample amount of time to turn away from that. God's response to evil is always at the right time. In Ezekiel 33, 11, the Lord says this, Tell them as I live, this is the declaration of the Lord God. I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked person should turn from his way and live. Repent, repent of your evil ways. What a great verse to how do we understand this loving God who also carries out justice. How do we reconcile that? He just said, I I take no pleasure in this, but because I'm good and because I love, I will hold iniquity accountable, but I will give them opportunities to turn from that. Fast forward to today, he's done that now through the Son, (laughs) through Jesus Christ, who bore all of our sins, who paid for them all on the cross, and now by turning to him in faith, all of our sins can be forgiven, and we can stand before the Lord holy and just, not as a servant in the kingdom, but as a child, an heir. What an amazing truth. But there's another question that jumps out to me. What do we do about the second half of verse 7? It says, But he will not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing the father's iniquity on the children and grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. The video kind of hit on this a little bit, but this idea seems contradictory because there's actually passages in Exodus and other places that say that God will not punish future generations for the sins of their fathers. So again, is this a contradiction? What do we do with this verse? Well, the first thing we need to understand is this idea of a third and fourth generation is actually a Hebrew idiom, so it's being used to illustrate a point rather than be taken literally. But the idea here is that he's saying, I'm going to continue to consistently be just in future generations if those children and grandchildren continue in the consistent sinfulness of this generation because I'm just. But again, I think priority does matter. I'm going to be slow to anger, maintaining forgiveness to a thousand generations. My desire is that they would repent and turn from their wicked ways. But if they choose to rebel and to reject, I will hold that iniquity accountable, but it will not have been out of my uh, impulsiveness. Exodus 20, as as when God's talking to Moses just a few chapters earlier from our text today, in verses 5 and 6, helps us understand who will be punished and who will receive faithful love. It says this, the Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord takes vengeance and is fierce in wrath. 
The Lord takes vengeance against his foes. He is furious with his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger, but in great and power, the Lord will never leave the guilty unpunished. These passages talk about who God is going to be focusing on are those who have, who have adamantly gone against God. And so he's saying, I'm going to hold this accountable because I am good and I am loving. Well, there's one more thing that I want to highlight this morning about God. Uh, he, there is one God. He is living, he's true, he's eternal, and he is a personal God who's, who's communicated to us so that we can relate to him. And his core characteristics are founded in generous mercy and loyal love. But the last thing that I want to highlight is that what you think about God will shape how you live. Look at verse 8. Moses hears this. And immediately knelt low on the ground and worshipped. Then he said, My Lord, if I have indeed found favor with you, my Lord, please go with us, even though this is a stiff-necked people. That means they are stubborn. Forgive our iniquity and our sin and accept us as your own possession. What's Moses' response to this revelation of God's character? Worship. See, I think the same thing is true. When God reveals who he is in creation... It should stir in us, the glory of God's creation should stir in us to worship God, to thank Him for it. When God reveals who He is in Scripture and we study theology, it should stir in us to worship Him. What we think about God will shape how we live. But there are some wrong ways to approach God. And it's based on how we view Him. One of the wrong ways would be to come to God and say, God, look what I've done. God, here, I'm coming to you and I'm doing this. And so because I've done this, because I've been obedient, because I've been a good person, because I've done nice things, because I tell other people about you, God, you now owe me. Now I want you to fill in and answer my requests. That's based on a wrong view of God. That some way our good behavior manipulates God to act on our behalf. Another wrong way to view God would be to say that, to kind of play the, the victim and say, God, look what, what all that's happened to me. And to manipulate God to doing what we want him to do for us. God, don't you feel sorry for me? I just continue this, all this bad stuff has happened to me. God, you gotta, you gotta help me. But I think Moses gives us an insight to how we should respond to God, how we should approach God. And I think that as we approach God based on what he has revealed to us, and we see this throughout the scriptures. It's that, Lord, I come to you and I'm asking because of who you are. We see it over and over at times. If you read through passages in my mind right now, just come into mind, it's like Nehemiah. Lord, we have been rebellious. I have been rebellious. We do not deserve, but because you are compassionate and you're good, would you grant me favor to go back and rebuild the city? God, because of who you are, would you do what you do? And so as we look at who God is, it's very important that we actually understand who he is. It's very important that we understand how he has presented himself to us, and it's important for us to then live in relationship in light of who he is. 
For us, we need to understand that God is a God worthy to be praised, that he's compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations. I just want to wrap up with this. To the dads in the room. I believe this is a beautiful blueprint for dads. That we would be known as men who are compassionate and gracious with our spouses, with our children. That we would be slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth, forgiving. Sometimes that's not the case. Sometimes we fail in that. And what I would say is because these are qualities that exist in God, they do not exist naturally in us as sinful, broken people. But thanks be to God that through a relationship with God through the Son, He will place His Holy Spirit inside of us. And if we will come to Him and say, God, because you are compassionate and gracious, would you begin to change me to be more like you? Would you begin to develop in me a compassion that is a godly compassion? Would you develop in me a graciousness that points people to Jesus? God, would you do in me what I can't do in myself? Not because you owe me or because I've been provoked by others, but because of who you are, would you begin to do this in me? I believe that's possible for those who will follow the Lord, submit to his Holy Spirit, and allow him to develop and change us to be more like him. I'm hoping this morning that we've challenged each other through God's word to consider that this God of the Old Testament, beyond what my people might say, is not an angry God that needs to be diminished or cut out of the Bible. No, no, he is a compassionate, gracious, patient, forgiving, and loving God. And we need to be thankful for his justice. We need to be thankful for the fact that he will punish anger, but thankful even more of his grace and his mercy. And now in the gift of Jesus Christ, he has said, you can come to me and we can have that relationship restored because all of that has been paid for in the Son. That is a good God. And if we get that right, it's going to help us to relate to him rightly and it's going to allow us to begin to walk in relationship with our God. And that's good news. Would you pray with me? Father God, we just thank you so much for loving us. Father, we thank you for the gift of the Son of God who came to earth and lived a perfect life and died on a cross for my sins. He, he bore the penalty for the wrath that is deserved. And God, now you've left us here to be proclaimers of that truth. But God, I pray for us, both men and women, who are both created in the image of God. That God, you would create in us the same characteristics that we see in you. That you would take your Holy Spirit living inside of us and you begin to refine those rough edges and you'd be able to fill up those missing pieces in our life. And that you would develop in us, both as men and women, moms and dads, grandfathers and grandmothers, aunts and uncles, that you would develop in us these qualities that we see in you. 
of compassion, grace, patience, loyal love, and truth. God, thank you for being that God. Allow that to comfort us this morning. Allow this text to clarify how we see you. And God, if necessary, let it convict us to come to you like the prodigal and find your loving arms. We pray this in your son's beautiful name. Amen. Hey, thank you so much for being here today. Uh, We're really thankful for you, and we're excited. Each week we get to come and worship with you. We have some discussion questions up here on the screen. They're also available on the notes. We'd love to encourage you to take time this week to talk about who God is with somebody else. Have a great week.
let's sing this to him. And all the earth will shout your praise. Our hearts will cry, these bones will sing. 